So thank you for thank you for that. And then another one, just big announcement, uh, is that uh, we are going to uh, this year as the, the church. Um, decided we needed a little bit more uh, help. Carrie and I decided we needed a little bit more help directing the worship. And so we were going to bring on a worship director part-time. We were praying, asking God to, to, um, to reveal that person to us. And in the midst of that process, um, one of our own stepped up and said they'd like to take on more leadership, which is really what we wanted all along. And, and that person's Noah Miller. And, and so, yeah, there you go. Awesome. That's what I was going to... That's that's what I was hoping for. Um, Noah, we we have kind of tailored now the position to make it more of an internship role for Noah. Um, and so in the next coming weeks and months, he'll be taking a, a, probably a more uh, active role in helping uh, take on some of the leadership and directing uh, the worship. And I don't know if you've noticed, but we have close to 30 people that use their worship gifts here on a Sunday morning, and it takes quite a bit of energy and effort. Um, for all of those people, but especially in the coordination of those. And so um, anyway, with that, it's exciting that he's wanting to step up into that. And I just want to ask you what you just did, which was clapped. I want to just, this is my first, um, you know, I'm almost three years in this role. It's my first senior pastor role. And you guys have all been so gracious and supportive and loving to me. And I just would ask that we would, in that area, the area of worship and the area of development of not just Noah, but really all of our, we have a lot of young worship worshipers that are talented, but we would be as a church super supportive to them and be their number one fans. And so I have no reason to think that we wouldn't, but it's just important as we kind of set off in this this um, new adventure that we keep that in mind. So that being said, we are we are now in part 47 of our sermon series through the Gospel of Mark, and let's pray one more time as we we go to the Word. Father, as we've already committed ourselves to you this morning as a church, we we do again now as we come to your Word, open it up, um, and let it change us and transform us. And Holy Spirit, uh, we ask. The, that you would find, um, as you rest upon us today, uh, willing and teachable hearts, hearts that are soft, malleable, um, and each person in here. We have people that are coming from all over the place, some that have known you for a long time, some that are just curious, don't know you at all. And uh, I pray that you, Spirit, would would soften each of our hearts as, as we submit ourselves to your word. We love you so much, and we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So today we come to this unique parable. We're going to be in Mark chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. And we're coming to a parable. A parable is nothing more than a story that illustrates a point. And this parable is a little bit more unique than some other parables. This could be considered a judgment parable. But what makes this really unique is oftentimes parables... When Jesus told a story to illustrate a truth, he would use parables to conceal truth from hard-hearted people. Because the truth of God is precious, it's valuable, it's like a treasure that's hidden in a field, it's, it's a valuable thing. And Jesus, when he told these valuable truths, he would tell them in such a way that hard-hearted skeptics, like a lot of the religious leaders of that day, would be blinded or wouldn't understand. But the people that were pursuing him, those parables would be morsels of, of life-giving food for them. That was what the majority of parables were like. But this parable is different because his skeptics are able to, to hear this parable and, 
And God in his graciousness allows them to have the opportunity to be reached by this parable that illustrates a story. So uh, this parable, though, as we go through it, these 12 verses, we go through this. uh, It is not meant to be a parable for the past, uh, something in ancient history, but more specifically something for us today. And I just challenge us that as we look at this parable, we're able to look through our lives and see some valuable truth. And specifically, we're going to look at three um, characteristics of God that come out and come through this, this parable. Three, three characteristics and attributes of God as they impact our lives. So Jesus first here illustrates the providence of God for his people Israel by um, likening it to a man who built a vineyard and waited expectantly for it to be produced. So follow along here. In verse 1, it says, And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it. And he dug it a pit for the winepress, and he built a tower. The first characteristic that we're going to look at here is the providence of the providence of God is seen here in this parable. As Jesus spoke these words, everyone would have understood that was there, especially the religious leaders. Everyone would have understood them that this vineyard was a symbol for the people of God, which is known as the nation Israel. Uh, the, the very f- temple in which Jesus would have been sharing this story in uh, had a column that rose up 100 feet in which a, a vine and leaves and grapes wrapped around this, and it stretched all the way to the, the holy place in the temple. And this vine and leaves, they were made of the finest of golds, and all of the, the, the berries and the grapes and, and whatnot were made of the most precious jewels that were there. And when patriotic Jews would travel to Israel, especially like for the Passover, like they're doing right now, they would bring their finest jewelry and their finest gold, and they would hang them and embellish this vine um, as an act of of worship. Um, But another thing that's really interesting with Jews is the second that Jesus started to talk about this vineyard and started to describe it, as we saw here in verse 1, the minds of the Jews especially the religious ones, would have immediately connected to their scriptures, which is the Old Testament as we know it today, and they would have specifically gone back to Isaiah 5. I want to have you look at Isaiah 5 here with me. Isaiah 5 one says, Let me sing for my beloved my song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it, and hewed out a wine vat, and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes, and now the inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? The point here, as we look at this, is that the hearers would have known that this vineyard was representing the nation Israel. They would have known that very clearly. And they also understood that the owner of the vineyard was God. They understood this. And more importantly, they were able to see in this that the owner, God, had taken great, great care to make sure that this vineyard was healthy and productive. He had done that. And look in, your, in verse 1, look at this, how he did that. First off, he planted the vineyard. He dug it. He cleared out the stones. I don't know if you've ever planted a garden. He, he took the care to, to make the, the soil fertile, and he created this beautiful garden which great things could come. And then he put a fence around it. Let's see here. Yeah, then he put a fence around it so that wild animals could be kept out as well as intruders. 
He dug a pit for the wine press, which means he, he dug it or created it out of stone. So there was two parts to, to a wine press. The upper part, which is where the grapes would have been squashed, and then the little channel that would go down to the lower part where the juices would then be joined. And he, he dug this out. And then he built a tower. Towers could be up to 20 feet tall, and they were meant for the purpose of storage, uh, a place for shelter, but also a place for security. This is a place where you could, you could keep an eye on the whole vineyard, and you could take your sniper rifle of choice, and if anything attacked your grapes, you could take care of it, or in their day, it would be a slingshot, but same, same kind of concept. Um, point here is that God expected great things to come from the spiritual vineyard. He expected that. And he set them up for success by providing all of these things for them. And then it says, then Jesus said, he leased it to the tenants and they went into another country. Now, this is a very common practice in vineyard keeping. There was an owner of the vineyard and the owner would come and then he would lease out the vineyard to tenants. And the tenants would would farm the vineyard. And they would, in turn, for rent, they would give the owner of the vineyard between one-third and one-half of the, the produce that would come from this. But, but here in this case, God's expectations are, are incredibly high for, uh, with all of their advantages, he expected, he expected that the people would radiate him to the Gentile world. That was his expectation, that they would radiate him as the light to the Gentile people. This was his defined plan. And, and specifically in this picture, in this parable, much responsibility rested upon the spiritual leadership of Israel in that day. Now, we again, like I said earlier, we, might, we must not take care um, to, to leave this in, in the past. We have to be paying special attention to a parable like this because it has relevance for us today because of why? Because we today farm a much richer vineyard than that of ancient Israel. We didn't have, we don't have prophets, living prophets like Isaiah or Daniel. But what we do have is we have the living word of God, the word of God that is alive and the word of God that is active. We, we have that. We also have much more uh, in the risen Christ, our Savior. And we have much more in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within our lives. And we have added to this the testimony of saints of God who have lived for 2,000 plus years. This is what we have. This is our vineyard. This is what we've been entrusted with. So, so as we look at this, we, we look at how God is a provider, that, that there is the provision of God so clearly displayed here in this passage to the nation Israel I think every one of us could recognize that, that God has provided so richly for, for all of us. I don't know about you, but as I think about this, we, we are such a rich culture. We are certainly rich materially. Certainly rich. I'm having a really hard time like not reflecting on some of the things from the State of the Union address this last week. I won't say anything about that. We are rich materially, but we're also, we're also rich intellectually we have information at our fingertips uh, and then also and more importantly what we're dealing with today we have a great deal of richness as it relates to spiritually speaking and Jesus said it he actually the, the movie Spider-Man 2 stole this line from Luke 12 verse 48 um, their paraphrase of this verse this verse says everyone whom much was given of 
him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand more. Basically, the way Superman stole that line, or Spider-Man stole that line, was that with much power comes much responsibility. That's really what Jesus is saying here. Who has been given much, much is to be expected. And for us today, being so rich in God's love, through what we have experienced, through the accepting of his son, for those of us who call ourselves Christians, we have been given so much. And with that, it really does become inexcusable for us. Any of us who have been in Christ for any length of time to lack, I'm just going to be very forthright right now. You know I love you, and I know you love me, so I can say this boldly. For those of us who have walked with Christ for any length of time, there is no excuse for us to lack the fruit of the spirits in our life, the, the fruit of the spirit in our life. You know what I'm talking about when I say the fruit of the spirit. It's Galatians 5, 22. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and favor, faithfulness and self-control. Not that we're perfect, but for things like Anger and temper and jealousy and lewdness and pride and envy and for these things to have any kind of dominating force, lust in our lives, there's no excuse for that because we have very fertile soil in which we've been entrusted with in our day, in our age. And, and so when it comes down to this, when it comes down to this, what can we learn? What can we learn by focusing on God's providence? What's a 21st century lesson here? Focusing on God's providence protects us from pride. I would really challenge you. I don't have time to go into it. I wish I did. Deuteronomy chapter 8, the first sermon I ever preached as a youth pastor, so the first sermon I ever preached ever was on Deuteronomy chapter 8 about the importance of remembering what God has done. Because when we don't remember what God has done, we start to take the credit ourselves. And that's exactly what was happening here in this particular passage. The nation Israel forgot the, the nature and the character of God's provision, and they really, what they wanted was the fruit themselves. That's what they sought after. They sought after the fruit themselves, and they were very, uh, they were very susceptible to pride and to arrogance. So for us today, when we look at our own lives, I really do hope that each of you take time on a regular basis just to thank God, to be grateful to God for what he has provided for us. I mean, one thing we really know, he's provided us with a great church, a great group of people that are here to love and to support us, and that's so good. And he's provided us, even more importantly, with the richness of his son and the indwelling Holy Spirit in our lives. We have so much to be grateful for. And I know, if you're like me, you think, but I fall so short. We have a lot of people in our congregation, and, and that's probably, I guess, okay to err this way if we don't stay there too long. But we have all of these uh, people that think that never feel like they measure up or they're good enough. That's not what I'm talking about here. Um, we all can grow. We all can learn. We all can become more and more like Jesus. I, more than anything, would want when people, especially when my family, when they think of dad coming home, that they almost think, oh, wow, is that Jesus walking in the door? Is that, dad, is that my dad walking in the door? I have a ways to go with that. But that's my ultimate desire, and I hope that is your ultimate desire too. Because we've got this rich, fertile vineyard uh, to, to steward in our lives. Secondly now, verses 2 through 8, we see something that is beautiful. And something like the, the provision of God, we also see um, a very beautiful characteristic and attribute of God. We see God's patience displayed. We see God's patience displayed. Listen as, as, I, as I read along 
or read along as I read or listen along as I read or whatever. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenant to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and they beat him and they sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent them another servant and they struck him on the head and they treated him shamefully. And he sent another and they killed him. And with so many others, some they beat and some they killed. We'll stop there for just a moment. What an outrageous act that these tenants went through here. Now, they knew, and they probably weren't liking the story at this point. You almost can kind of just see him getting uncomfortable and angry like he's talking about us. But they knew that he was talking about them because the nation Israel had treated God's prophets terribly throughout the ages. Think of Elijah was driven in the wilderness by the monarchy. You can see that in 1 Kings 19, 1 through 5. Isaiah, according to tradition, was cut in two. Zechariah was stoned to death near the altar. John the Baptist was beheaded. And the writer of Hebrews summarizes the way that, that the prophets of God were treated. And he says it like this. He goes, they were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of who the world would not worthy wander, who the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. You want to serve God? You want to be a voice for God? They were, and it it was not an easy road. It's not an easy road. Now, so why was all of this mistreatment done? Jesus tells us it's because. Israel's leaders wanted for themselves the fruit of the vineyard. They wanted it for themselves. And God's prophets, through announcing his word, threatened the leadership and the position and the monetary gains of those people. And so they, they took terrible, terrible care of him. And, and look at as Jesus continues this parable, they unmas- he unmasks their true motivation below all of it. He said, he still had one other a beloved son, finally he sent him, he's, finally he sent him saying, they will respect my son. But what did those tenants do? They, they said to one another, this is the heir, come, let us kill him. And the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. So, so from an earthly level, it's pretty easy to see what their motivation was. Their motivation in, in going about this uh, was that, you know, if the son's showing up, then the master must be dead. And if we kill the son, then, then we get all of the proceeds of the vineyard. We don't have to give a third. We don't have to give a half. It's all ours. Ultimately, what they wanted, they wanted the position of God. They wanted to be God themselves. And, and shortly, in three days from this moment, from Jesus speaking this parable, they are going to drag him before their courts outside to be reminiscent of being outside the vine- vineyard symbolically. And, and their final act was that they wanted this vineyard to be their own, and they would ultimately have Jesus killed. Now, as we look at this, as we think about this, you think about the scope of all of this. Boy, the patience of God throughout the ages, throughout the time, as his people continually turn their backs on them and continually reject him, continually to kill his prophets and his, his, voice, his voice to the world is represented. It's, just, it's a heartbreaking picture, but it also is a glorious picture of how patient God is. And, and let's just talk about patience for just a moment, if we could. We think about patience, and I, I think about patience, and it seems like oftentimes... God takes an awfully long time in responding to the needs that I have. 
And I know many of you sitting here today have desires and needs, and it could be a dozen of different things. And you're thinking, why is it taking God so long to, to deal with this need in my life? It seems that his help is coming so slowly. And, and, and time is very different for us when things aren't the way that we think they should be. And uh, it's, it's tough oftentimes to be patient, but um, it, it, we talked about the shingles, as you know, the couple of weeks of battling these shingles. Very, very frustrating. Uh, very frustrating process. And as I went through this, um, I asked specifically for God just to completely and miraculously heal me. I've seen him do it uh, in others, and I wanted him just absolutely to, to heal me straight up. And it didn't happen. And that was very frustrating. And it was only two weeks, and, and I'm pretty much through the worst of, of it. But through that process, um, he taught me a little bit of patience, and he really helped me focus on this very passage. When Bob was going to fill in, uh, I told him, I, I want to I I preach on this passage, mostly because of this very thing, because I was so, um, so caught up in how patient God has been with me and so thankful for the patience that he's had in my life. And I don't know about you, but I really do hope in the same way that you recognize the provision of God in your life, you'll recognize that God is so patient with us. So patient with us as we stumble along. As I'll say oftentimes, uh, like sheep, we oftentimes just continually nibble our way lost, nibble our way into thorny thickets, get ourselves into trouble, Many of us are dealing with scenarios in our life right now that we would like to blame on somebody else, but the reality is um, it just comes down to our own choices of choosing not to rest in the providence of God, but trying to make something happen ourselves because we've gotten impatient for going after something. And, and uh, how, how tough that is when we don't trust in the patience of God. And as we, as we look at this, um, what we realize is he's been so patient, and he will continue to be so patient. And, and really, God's love is, is always coming to, to those that continually to reject him. But in, in, in essence, what we see through the story is that to deny Christ continually, um, in a sense, is really to kill him over and over again. There's, there's some people that it seems like, and I have people in my life that seem that they, they take pleasure out of consciously rejecting the love of God for them. They take pleasure in that. And in that, unfortunately, in that pleasure, they're, they're committing what is considered to be the unpardonable sin. They're resisting the, the promptings of the Holy Spirit to receive Christ into their, into their life. And this is just a, a great and tragic outcome because this is not what God wants for human people. He does not want this. We know that he wants everyone to come to a saving knowledge of his son. We see that as we looked at it already in, actually we didn't because I skipped over it, but 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's what God's heart is. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 tells us virtually that same thing, that God desires all to come to a saving knowledge of his son, Jesus. And in the story of Israel, we know what happens. This, this um, patience runs out at, at a certain point. And in AD 70, Jerusalem is ultimately overtaken by Titus, the ruler Titus, and the vineyard of the church leadership eventually goes from Jewish leaders to primarily Gentile leaders. And, and, and ultimately, the point here is 
there is tremendous peril in, in, uh, tremendous peril in rejecting Christ. Now, when we look at patience, when we talk about patience, uh, there's, there's, a 21st century, there's a 21st century lesson that we can look at, and, and this is key for us. Focusing on God's patience pr- pr- produces within us patience. Focusing on God's patience produces patience. And I don't think there's anyone in us that, that, would, not, uh, that would not say we need a little bit more of this in our life. I think the most famous chapter on love is 1 Corinthians 13, and they say love is what? Patient. Yes, the definition of, of love starts with love is patient. And where does that come from? It comes from focusing on the patience of God in our own lives and how awesome that is. Now, however, that being said, it's great. We could just stop there. We've talked about the provision of God in our life. We've talked about the, the patience of God in our life. And it would be great if it just we could just leave at that point and just say, okay, this week focus on being grateful for the things in which God has provided and how patient God has been and see if you can uh, exercise a little more patience in the, your life as well as in the lives of other people. Uh, but that's not where our, our parable ends. And this is where we see the third characteristic of God, which unfortunately does not get talked about too much, uh, talked about enough, I think. And it's this. Thirdly, the punishment of God is what we see in verse 9. The wrath of God, the severity of God. There's lots of different ways we could say this, but I'm sticking with peas. The punishment of God. What will the owner of the vineyard do, asked Jesus. He will come and he will destroy the tenants and he will give the vineyard to the others. The con- consequence for not ex- acknowledging, for not acknowledging the providence of God sending his son, the consequence for taking advantage of the patience of God in a person's life is having to deal with the severity of God, the wrath of God, the punishment of God, and more specifically the judgment of God in someone's life. If, uh, if Jesus Christ is refused in this life, there's absolutely nothing that remains except God's wrath. And how important is that? We don't like to talk about God's wrath, but what is the good news of the gospel without the wrath of God, without a solid understanding of the fact that why do we need to be saved if there's not something to be saved from? And what is we to be saved from? We're saved not just from the mess of this world, not just from uh, the, the toughness that we all have to deal with in this, in this world. We're actually seeking out to be saved from eternal separation from God in hell, which is a real thing in a real place despite what culture might want to tell you. And we have no excuse to, to deny that or the world around us says, why would a loving God be so angry? God has done everything for us. He's provided for us. He has given his son for us. He's given his spirit to us. He's blessed us in so many different ways, and he's so patient when we constantly, as people, reject him. Um, but there is a point in time where, where that comes to an end, despite what popular opinion would 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 uh, like to say and so jesus comes and, and here we look at second uh, corinthians second corinthians five eleven says therefore knowing the fear of the lord we we seek to persuade others jesus concludes here have you read this scripture the stone that the builder rejected has become the cornerstone this was the lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes this is actually a quote 
from a psalm that they would have been singing. It was a really popular song about the Messiah that was often sung during the Passover week. And it's Psalms 118, 22, and 23. And so it's a, a psalm or a song that would have been well known to them. They may have even sung it that morning or right before this interaction. And it was understood to be this messianic psalm. And the picture it gives is, is beautiful, for it depicts one of the building stones of Solomon's temple that was rejected that was rejected in the construction of the sanctuary, but then became the keystone of the entrance of the sanctuary. Christ is the keystone. He is the entrance to the spiritual temple of God. And he went from being rejected to the highest place of exaltation. And we're going to see that in just a few days. And keep in mind, as Jesus is saying these things, he's standing right there, in the remains of Solomon's temple. Now, what's the, what's the 21st century takeaway for focusing on the punishment of God or focusing on the wrath of God? What is our, our takeaway? Uh, and this is specifically for those who are in Christ. What is our takeaway as a church? Our takeaway is focusing on God's punishment produces an eagerness to proclaim the gospel. Say it every week. I'm going to say it again uh, until I'm confident that all of you not only know it, but see it as your call, is that our purpose as a church is to reach with the gospel those who are near to us but far from Christ. That's our purpose as a church. That's our goal as followers of Christ, is to reach with the gospel those that are near to us but far from him. And that's our goal. Because those who reject reject Christ are going to face the holy wrath of God, and they will become, as Daniel 2.35 says, they're going to become like chaff on a summer day's threshing floor the wind will just carry them away without leaving a trace and so here as jesus's words would have echoed through solomon's porch in the in the temple area uh, the sanhedrin all of these jewish leaders would have heard this they would have got a great and beautiful picture of of sacred history past as well as president and they heard this eloquent description of the providence of god for his people They saw a picture of the patience of God and the grace of God that was extended to people as throughout the years they took advantage of him over and over again and took advantage of his patience. And ultimately they saw now the coming punishment. And they heard this all from what was the most authentic voice in all of human history. And so what's their response? Here's their response. Verse 12 And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them, so they left him and they went, they went away. And it's just an utterly sad thing. We know that they heard the message, they understood it, but they still looked away. They still ended up rejecting him. And and I think the most important thing for us to take away, I mean, we recognize that we farm a much richer vineyard than 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 ancient Israel in Israel because we have Christ um, and we are to be thankful for the provisions of Christ and thankful for the, the patience of God in our lives knowing that that without his patience without his provision then we would all face punishment and so what is our response today our response if if you're here today and you've not received Christ in essence you've rejected him and the response for you is to to come to him to trust him with your life. And I would challenge you, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, please do that today. Come and see me, right? Um, as we close in song, uh, that would be a joy to have an opportunity to, to talk with you about that. And many of you in here are followers of Jesus, and it would be your challenge to walk away, to make sure that out of all of these things, 
I think it's good to focus on the punishment of God, the wrath of God, because we've already experienced his provision and responded to it. We know he's patient with us, but his punishment, his punishment is real. And it's our responsibility to respond to that punishment, um, not to feel guilty ourselves, but to see the world around us with, with Christ-like eyes and to reach out to love those people. And there's so many good ways to do that. I think probably the best way that you can evangelize is what we talked about is to live out the fruit of the Spirit, to allow the fruit of the Spirit to be so real in your life that the world around you would know that you belong to God because of the love. And then, yes, you might have to open your mouth. You should open your mouth and share with others. Uh, Invite them into your homes, into our church family, so they get a chance to hear the gospel message. I have the worship team come back up.